Well, I stepped in it again over the last couple of weeks because I sometimes don't know how to keep my big mouth shut. Uh, my dad and his wife, Betty, visited from British Columbia for the first time in the last couple of weeks in a visit that he and I arranged privately, coordinated so that the two of them could walk into our summer family reunion unannounced to anybody and just surprise all the grandkids, and I was going to video the moment and catch their reaction, and it was going to be awesome, except I kept spilling the beans. <laughs> I, I was in church a few weeks ago, and one of Dad's friends came up to me and, and said, hey, uh, when are your parents coming next? And before I could even think about it, I just blurted out, oh, August 13th. My 10-year-old is right beside me. Her head snapped around. She's like, Grandpa and Grandma are coming on August 13th? And I was like, no, of course. I Don't tell your sisters, okay? <laughs> oh, man. And then the next week, Krista was driving around with some of the girls, and she was talking out loud. Well, we got to go to the grocery store because I got to pick up supplies for the family reunion. I got to get gluten-free buns. And, and my second oldest daughter says, but only Grandma eats gluten-free buns. And she backpedaled, oh, yeah, right, uh, no, no, we don't need those, force of habit. Uh, um, and then the day of the family reunion, I was talking to my third oldest daughter, and I said, well, you got to go get changed because your cousins are coming. And she said, well, why do I need to get changed for my cousins? And I said, well, grandpa, and she was like, oh, did you say grandpa? And I said, no, no, I'm sorry, it was just totally blue. Like they walked around the corner and my daughter's like, oh, I knew that they were coming because you blew it. Because I was so excited about what I was holding inside that I actually, I couldn't help but blurt it out and talk about it. And I bet you've had that experience too, whether, you know, whether it's about a hobby or something, uh, a book, a workout, pro, whatever it is, your new job, you're just so excited about something you can't help but talk about it. And I wonder how much that's true of our life with God. In the last couple uh, weeks, we've been talking about the kind of church and the kind of people we want to be as we open up in the wake of this pandemic and emerge, you know, back into getting to be church again, the way that we were before, but better. And we've talked about how we're just fundamentally committed to being a community filled with people who are living with open hearts towards God, where change is desired, change is the norm, change is the only thing that doesn't change because the only thing that we want is to change to be more like Jesus as individuals and as a community. We've talked about being people who are committed to living with open minds, to not being afraid to hear new ideas and think new thoughts and ask new questions and even doubt new doubts because we will be relentless in our pursuit of a deeper understanding of who God is, who is revealed in Jesus and what life with God looks like. We committed to be a community that lives with open arms, a community that is committed to living in unity with each other, but fundamentally committed to that unity being lived out in the diversity, the full diversity of uh, the body of Christ, of including every kind of person we can imagine, because diversity is not optional if our community is going to reflect Jesus to the world. Finally, we're committed to being a community that lives uh, open lives, who don't just go to church on Sunday, maybe attend a group, maybe volunteer for an hour a week, 
but who live 24-7 in the passionate love and full devotion of our commitment to Christ and to each other and to the world. That's who we're committed to being. And here's the thing, in as much as we're committed to being this kind of community, to living this out together, that life that we are committed to having in our spirits is eventually, inevitably, going to spill out in the way that we talk. In, Matthew, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this, a man, a person, a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Here's Jesus' point. Jesus says, whatever it is that fills your spirit will eventually spill out of your mouth in the things that you talk about. Which is true as you read the stories about the earliest church. In Acts chapter 4, this is what the earliest Christians are saying about talking about Jesus. They said, as for us, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard God do in Jesus Christ. We can't stop talking about it. That which filled their, their spirit spilled out of their mouth in the way that they spoke. It's like the old joke, right? The crossfitter, the vegan, and the multi-level multi marketing person walk into a bar, and 30 seconds later, everybody's heard about it, right? You, when you're passionate about something, when you're consumed by something, you just can't help talking about it. And that's the point. Jesus says, if your heart is filled with a passionate love for God and what God has done in Jesus Christ, that is eventually, inevitably going to spill out in the way that you talk, which prompts in me a question. What spills out of me most in the way that I talk? What fills most of my conversation? Because in all likelihood, that is an indication of what fills my spirit, the thing I'm most passionate about. Does my speech reflect my passion for Jesus? Because that's what will happen. Secondly, I think it's not just the love of God that fills our spirit. If we genuinely love other people, if that's what fills our spirit, then conversation with Jesus is going to spill out of our mouth in the way that we talk. Look at the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for his friends in Athens, he was deeply distressed to find that the city was flooded with idols. Paul was deeply distressed. You could say his spirit was upset or his spirit was provoked is the right word within him. It describes a deep disturbance driven by an emotional concern for the people that he saw all around him. His love for people and for the fact that they were pursuing things that weren't going to give them the life that Jesus could give them. That concerned him so deeply that it says in verse 22 that Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, people of Athens... I see that you're very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God, what you worship as unknown, 
I now proclaim to you. Paul's concern for the people of Athens went so deep that he couldn't help himself but to say something. Now, look at what he says. Uh, He doesn't, if you've grown up in the church, maybe what he says surprises you because what he doesn't say is, people of Athens, you are terrible people who worship idols and you're probably going to hell, but luckily Jesus can prevent that. That's not what he says. What he says is, people of Athens, I see your hearts. I see how badly you are longing to connect with the divine. I can see that you don't even yet know what you're reaching for. Let's talk about it. That's the pattern that Paul, fundamentally filled with a passionate love for God, fundamentally filled with a passionate love for the people that God was bringing into his life, couldn't help but talk to them about Jesus. That's that's the pattern that if you have experience, if you're being filled by an experience of the love of God, you just need to know there are people all around you who are craving, who are thirsting after that same sense of connection to the divine, the same sense of transcendence, the same sense of more to life. If you're being filled with, if you're experiencing a genuine love of the community of the people around you, you need to know there are people all around you who are craving and thirsting after that same experience of belonging. Loneliness is an epidemic. People are dying to have a people who love them with the love of Christ. If you've experienced any sense of meaning and purpose from living in compassion and justice, in friendship with those who are forgotten and ignored by the rest of society, you need to know there are people all around you who are craving and thirsting that same, for that same sense of passion, for meaning, for purpose in their lives. What God has and is filling us with, people are desperate for. And Jesus is inviting us to live our lives as an open invitation to inviting others into what we are experiencing. I think God wants to do that in two ways. The first is this. I think God, it begins with us living lives that are good news to other people. We have to live lives that are good news to other people. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, that the earliest Christians praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. And the Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. It says the earliest Christians lived this life of passionate love and worship for God individually and together as a community. And they loved each other passionately and they loved the world and their life together put on display the goodness of the love of God for everybody to see. And it was inspiring and people wanted in. They wanted a part of it. And people every day joined the community because of how inspiring the lives of these Christians were. I heard a similar story like that recently about somebody, a name that you might know, Muhammad Ahmed. Uh, or Mo Ahmed. Um, many of you know that Mo is a, um, an Olympian, three-time Olympian who lives and trains in the Niagara region. And uh, this is 
He was uh, in the Olympics uh, in 2012, 2016, and now the 2020 Olympics, which happened in 2021. And this year, Mo came home with the silver medal in the 5,000 meter. He came home an Olympic hero. But the crazy thing about Mo, I just heard this story this week, is that after all the years of living so closely to Mo and working so closely with Mo, his coach has been inspired to begin reading the Quran because he has been so inspired, not by what an incredible athlete Mo is, but by what an incredibly beautiful human being Mo is. And he genuinely wants to tap into whatever it is that Mo has found, what he's seen in Mo's life. And it got me asking the question, who's reading the Bible because of what they see in my life? Who's reading the Bible because they are catching off of me this passionate love for God, this deep devotion to Christ that fills my every day? Who's reading the Bible because they see and hear me reading the Bible because they've heard about my prayer life or they've watched me in spiritual practice? Who is reading the Bible to discover God because I have been soaking in the presence of God that it just so much that it just radiates off me into their world. Who's who's reading the Bible because of the way they watch me love other people? Because they watch my relationships filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control at home and at work and in the arena and at school and wherever we find online that they see in me someone who doesn't contribute to the polarization and the online fights and enemy making and what they see is an open hospitality that welcomes everyone. Who is Who's trying to meet God because of what they see in the way I love people? Who's, who's reading the Bible because of the way they see me loving the world, living in friendship with those the society has forgotten and ignored, pouring compassion and justice out of my life? Who's being inspired by the way that I live? This is the invitation of Jesus is to live a life that is an open invitation to live a life that is good news to those who experience it. But that life that is good news eventually and inevitably leads to words that are good news. That what fills our spirit eventually spills out of our mouth in our conversation. Now, I I want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about evangelism where our job is to convert the world, to pray a sinner's prayer, anything like that. I'm not talking about forced relationships where people are a project and there's an agenda. And I'm always in my mind asking myself, how can I share Jesus with this person and encourage them to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I'm not talking about being driven to debate or argue or apologetics or, I mean, all of those things maybe have their place where they are welcomed and desired by the other person. But that's not what I'm talking about. It's not your job to save anybody, to convert anybody. It's not your job to debate anybody. It's not your job to out-argue anybody. It's not your job to whatever. I'm talking about simply allowing our mouths to testify to what we have experienced from God through Christ, by the Spirit, in our lives, in our community, 
and in the world, telling the stories of what God has done and is doing in me, the way I've met God in worship, the way I've discovered what God is like in community, the way I'm experiencing and encountering Christ in my friendships with the forgotten and ignored and those who are pushed to the margins, not being afraid to allow my conversation to include Jesus, not as a, a part of my life that I hide, the part of the, my life as I highlight, not because I have an agenda, but because that's just authentically who I am. And that's what I'm about. What I'm talking about is a life that spills over into these kinds of conversations that can lead to invitations, inviting others to join me in this pursuit of getting to know and to love Jesus, to know and to love each other and to know and to love the world because of what Jesus has done for us. Eventually, what fills our spirit, if it is genuinely filling our spirit, what fills our spirit will spill out of our mouth in the way that we talk. I learned this lesson the hard way uh, with a neighbor of mine. I met him about 15 years ago when we moved in. He's in his 70s. He's a bit gruff and rough around the edges. He's kind of a Grizzled, old world, Eastern European, lapsed Catholic kind of guy who made it clear early on that faith wasn't really a, an ongoing dynamic in his life anymore. And when we first met, I kind of discerned, you know what, probably telling my neighbor that I pastor a church was not the best way uh, to lay the foundation for a genuine friendship. And so I kind of kept that part of me to myself. For years, I did, until I was outed by a mutual friend of ours named John. John and my neighbor were out for beers one day, and John was just chatting about the fact that they both knew me, and John had slid into conversation that I pastor a church right around the corner as, as though it was no big deal, expecting that my neighbor knew that already. And as soon as John said it, he was telling me later, as soon as John said it, my neighbor was like, hold on, stop. What? What did you just say? And John said that... Mike pastors a church around the corner from your house? And he was like, he was dumbfounded. He was like, Mike is a pastor? Wow, oh, he said, I can't believe it. I mean, he's such a nice guy. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> kind of validated maybe that leading with my job wasn't the best move. But he came back to me, my neighbor came back to me, and a day or two later, he said, hey, John told me this about you. Is it true? And I said, yeah. And then we started to talk about his spiritual background. I started to talk about his life as a Catholic growing up. Started to talk about his experiences in the church and all the hurt that he had experienced and all the hypocrisy that he hates. And, and that conversation led to another one, which led to another one, which led to another one. And over the last number of years, it's become a regular part of our conversations on my porch and on his deck and in my front yard. And Well, about a year ago, my neighbor's professional life kind of imploded as a result of some false accusations online and his career was basically sabotaged. And over the last year, we've spent a lot of time talking about what happened to him and me commiserating with him and uh, empathizing with him and, and just kind of being there for him, being a presence to him as he went through what 
was obviously the hardest year of his life. Just a couple of months ago, he said to me, he asked me, he said, hey, he said, is your, is your church open? I said, no, we've stayed closed. He's a scientist, so I wanted to emphasize this. We stayed closed throughout the pandemic. Better safe than story, follow public health protocols. We wanted to be a leader in that regard and so on. But I said, you know what, probably you know, sometime this fall, we'll be open a little, hopefully by the new year, maybe we can get fully back to business. And he nodded and he said, do me a favor. He said, when you open up again, could you let me know? He said, I'd, I'd kind of be interested to see what it is that you guys are all about. And I tell you that story not because I'm somehow the hero of it. I was the one who was keeping all of this part of my life hidden from my neighbor. It was John. If John hadn't outed me, we might not ever still be talking about it. But what I learned was once I just became my authentic self, once I allowed the faith part of my life, that passion for God and love for people and love for the world that genuinely, I believe, fills my spirit, once I allowed that to spill out of my mouth, it fundamentally transformed my relationship with my neighbor. And who knows if he'll come and who knows if he'll stay and who knows if it'll make any difference at all. But here's what I do know, that allowing that part of my life to spill out of my mouth into our conversation fundamentally changed the conversation and created the moment, a moment for my life to become an open invitation to my neighbor. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. We've talked all month about the kind of things that we want to have filling our spirit. Jesus is saying, okay, so what now let what fills your spirit spill out of your mouth in your conversation and be an open invitation to those I've brought into your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, there is no way to summarize and capture and Thank you enough for everything that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would see that with increasing clarity every day, that we would increase in our passionate love for you every day and our love for each other and our love for the world. I pray that we would continually become more like Jesus. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the grace to find ways to simply allow our, that part of our lives to flow into our conversations for us to lift you up in the way that we talk so that like you say uh, in the book of John, when you're lifted up, you'll draw people to yourself. Would you do that through us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.